All right. Hey, everyone. How's it going? I am Ryan. I'm part of the Sylvester Stallone Fan Podcast Network. I'm one of the hosts. I host the podcast called Going the Distance, the Rocky Series and Creed Podcast. Joining me today is Doug and Craig, but uh, on my podcast, what I do is I go through the Rocky films in order. We're on season seven right now, covering the Creed films. We're just about finished wrapping up Creed. I can't believe it. And we're going to move on to Creed 2 fairly shortly. After the Creed films are done, we're going <laughs> to roll into the Ramble franchise, which I, no lie, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, um, my name's Doug, part of the Rocky Minute, one of the two hosts of Rocky Minute. We also go through the Rocky movies, but we do it in much finer detail where we analyze one minute of film screen time at a time. We've worked our way through seasons one and two. We're recording and producing and trying to get rolling on season three any day now. I'm Craig from the Slycast, also part of the Sylvester Stallone Fan Podcast Network, which is where I do the bulk of my podcasting now. And we've actually started releasing Slycast episodes on this feed, the old Slycast. As you know, before the network, Slycast was its own feed. So we put up episode one to celebrate our seventh birthday, I think. It was seven years in 2014. So uh, I know a lot of people re-listen to that. It's kind of cool to go back and listen to it before... This thing sort of became what it became before we had any idea that we would become friends and that this network would become a thing. So I think once once a month, I'll be uploading uh, from the vaults or from the archives Ooh. a slidecast for people that haven't found it on the other feed or just feel like re-listening. But uh, either way, that should be plenty of slidecast content to keep you busy in, until we get some new episodes out. Uh, but Mike Kunda's got a, a new podcast called From Pretender to Contender. Yeah, and it's on, uh, I think, every Tuesday. So I actually shared a link in the uh, Slack book page. So if you're listening to this and you're at all curious, you can go to Slycast Facebook, and I'm sure you'll, if you scroll down, you'll find the link. I watched a little of the first episode, and I think Mike was at the Victor Cafe, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I listened to it. It was good. All it means is it's going to draw away from our numbers. So thanks, Kunda, for that. <laughs> <laughs> We can't afford that kind of loss, but you know what? We'll uh, we'll keep going the distance and keep punching as uh, as we're supposed to do. No, good luck. We wish Joe and Mike good luck on their podcast. Of course, maybe one day they'll be on ours again, or vice versa. If they they're gonna be big stars, hopefully they'll let us maybe you know cross pollinate again. We we'd appreciate that. Bigger stars. <laughs> you can turn on Amazon right now and watch this documentary. That's true. There's no documentaries about me. Speaking of which, if you want to check out my uh, interview with Derek Wayne Johnson, who did the documentary on Frank Stallone. That interview is in our feed as well as the video in this channel. And Derek's just class act, uh, awesome guy. Yeah. And you had a, a flawless conversation this time. No outside in Texas on the phone or. Yeah, I know. It's, it's weird. <laughs> the interesting thing about that conversation, Ryan, was when Derek sort of illustrated, and I think you kind of got led him that way by saying that the screener that you saw was dated 2019, but how long these documentaries actually take to make. Mm. I think for the Frank Stallone one, he said he had been working on it as far back as 2017. That's crazy. Which is just wild. He did a sort of a Stallone universe trilogy of documentaries, which is pretty cool. Between the John G one and the the Rocky, what is it, Becoming Rocky or? 40 Years Becoming Rocky or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Stallone, Frank, that is, uh, documentaries. He also mentioned that Don Rickles and, uh, was it Bob Newhart? Yes. That is a documentary I want to see. Yeah, he's working on that right now. I guess with another company, so he's probably helping them out. I don't think it's his company, but he's still helping with the documentary. So, All right. Well, uh, let's get into it. We're reviewing 
Uh, Expendables 3, there's no, uh, what do you call it, tagline after this one. For the Expendables 2, was back to, what was it again? Back to War? Or... Was that official? Was that? Yeah. I don't, think the, I don't think the Blu-ray says it. I thought it was official. But anyways, this is just the Expendables 3. Let's get into first, when we first saw it. Doug, when did you first see this film? I kind of saw them all around the same time. I didn't back see them in movies. Like... Back for War? Back for War, that's right. <laughs> Instead of back for more, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't uh, go to the movies to see them. I don't know if they were streaming at the time, but I kind of did like a just like a marathon watch, like one day after the next, watched one, two, and three, kind of in succession. So that was the first time I saw this one. So it must have been shortly after it was released on streaming devices. I saw it in theaters, probably opening weekend. I doubt I went opening day. It was what August of two thousand fourteen couple of months after we started Slycast, which is pretty funny. So I probably went and saw it on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. You know, I'm not a an opening night guy for the Expendables. Rocky and Rambo, I'll, I'll go out opening night and deal with the Maniacs. Expendables 3, I'm doing the first matinee, right. the cheap show. Sure. <laughs> All three Expendables down in North America are streaming right now on Prime. I think they hit the first of the years. That's pretty cool that all three movies accessible by uh, Prime Video. Okay. Yeah, they're not on streaming services, like as far as Netflix or Prime here in Canada, but I actually already have all of them on Blu-ray. I bought them all on Blu-ray. The first Expendables was the first Blu-ray I ever bought. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's uh yeah, so let's talk about that. I saw it in the theaters myself. Yes, of course. I think I've seen every Sly move, every major Sly film in the theater since probably since like Rocky 3 that I've been allowed to go to. You know, I remember my mom took me to Ramble Part 3 because I was too young. So I've every chance I've gone, I've seen every Sly film in the theater. I'm going to first talk about my initial feeling when I saw the film in 2014. I bought the Blu-ray once it got released. I believe I watched it once on Blu-ray, probably 2014, late 2014, early 2015 when I got it on Blu-ray. And I don't think I've touched it since. So it's probably been almost six years. So I think this viewing is the first time I've seen it this is my second time on Blu-ray. That's it. So it's been six years. And there was times when I was watching the film, I was like, oh, I totally forgot this part. I just totally forgot this part. Like some of the major hits, of course, the train or the, you know, the big shootout at the end. Those are parts I It's amazing what I missed. Now, going back to 2014's viewing experience, because I might be the defender of this film today. For the 2014 viewing, I was, yeah, you know, it was a little bit hokey, a little bit silly. The toned down version of this and all that stuff compared to Expendables 2 and especially Expendables 1, it maybe left me a little bit, left me a little bit wanting, okay? Rewatching it on the weekend on my big screen by myself, no distractions. And then I actually dug into all the extras and I spent another like two hours watching the extras, the behind the scene, the documentary and everything. I had a great appreciation for the film, but I found myself a, a very good looking film, well filmed. And I actually had fun. I started writing kind of like sassy notes like we sometimes do. After about a third of the way through, I just sat back and I was like, man, I'm having a good time. I'm actually enjoying the film. I don't cool. think you're the only defender of the film oh. today because I felt the same way. Out of all the episodes we've done, this is probably the film that I did the least amount of notes on because mm-hmm. I was really kind of just rock and rolling with the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was, I was enjoying it. And this is the thing that I love about The Expendables. It has all the thrills of the 80s style action flicks that we grew up with. Mm-hmm. But A, the comedy is better. And B, the storylines are way better. Like you said, you can poke fun where we all heard Sean's, <laughs> Sean's views on it. You can really 
poke it at that aspect of it, sure. But if you want just a thrill ride, a good in and out, uh, I mean, it was two hours long, so it's not exactly in and out, but it went by quick. Mm-hmm. If you have two hours to spare and you just want to kind of zone out and see some explosions and a bunch of people getting shot, this is perfect for it. It's not as good as the first two. I'll tell you exactly why it's not as good as the first two, because it basically torpedoed any character work that we got from the cast, especially the Jason Statham Christmas character. That first movie, he's like a solid second lead with Sly. There's chunks of that movie where we just follow Statham, and he's strong enough to do that. In this movie, he was a cardboard cutout of that character from the first movie. And you can say that about everybody. Dolph Lundgren, window dressing. Randy Couture, window dressing. Terry Crews, plot device. The benefit of this movie is Wesley Snipes and Antonio Banderas. Those two guys brought such energy to the film. And 2014, seeing Wesley Snipes back on the big screen after coming out of prison was exciting. I mean, I'm a Blade guy. I mean, I saw Blade in theaters like seven times. We all love Wesley's. We've talked about him on the show before on Demolition Man, and we've talked about Antonio. So to see the two villains from Sly's past come into this movie as members of the team was really cool. One storytelling device that did explore was the fact that there were members of the Expendables that were no longer here. There were actually Expendable members of the Expendables, and we see that the dog tags hanging up. So you all that's left of the Expendables. We started out with five, built up to 22. See, Barney's still hanging the tags up there. Said that jingling sound the tags making. That's a reminder that our brothers are still here. Somewhere. We got some history there, and you know, it's explored the origins of the Expendables with the Mel Gibson character, uh, Conrad Stonebanks, which is a terrible effing last name. Um <laughs> But that was cool. I mean, I really, really dug that exploration into the origins of the Expendables. For me, the movie completely falls apart with the young kids. I think I felt that way, Craig, seen it the first time in 2014. But for some reason, watching it again, I was watching them better this time. I was like, okay, well, we know they're here. I almost forgot why they were the way they were and what they had done. And all this, I just com- almost completely forgot the film. I, I seemed to be so put off by the new characters that I never revisited the film. I almost didn't give them a fair chance of rewatching it. Ronda Rousey, for example, we know she's not a great actress or whatever. She's an incredible fighter. Like I wouldn't want to tangle with her any given day. But when it comes to the action sequences, and when she had that amazing fight sequence with Antonio Bandera, I enjoyed that fight sequence they did together, that little tangle of a fight sequence where they're taking on those uh, soldiers. In, in. You didn't enjoy that you at can, all, Craig? You could teach a, a regular actress to do that. Or you know what? Why not get Cynthia Rothrock? You Who? know? I mean... Goodness, I don't, I don't you know, know who that is. She was the action star of the 80s when it came to women. She was like the martial arts woman, if you go back to the mid to late 80s. Ronda Rousey wasn't, she wasn't hired for her acting ability. I think we were a little bit lighter on this movie because we've watched a lot of dog shit the last couple months. <laughs> and this was not, it, this isn't a, a hard movie to watch. It's not a bad movie. You Maybe you're absolutely right. We didn't just finish watching uh, Copland, Cliffhanger, uh, Lock Up, yeah, Lock Up even like Ramble Part 2. Like, I understand that we were, what was our last film that we did? <laughs> it's 
escape to Hades. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sorry, it not escape to Hades. Whatever the crap it's called. Anyway, so you're right. That was an absolute. And I was actually when I was watching this, that thought occurred to me that I'm going to say what I'm going to say, and I no offense. It's like someone's going to say we have been doing some bad films. It was asked to us, are we always putting up bad films? I guess I went into this thinking. We put this up for a vote. We put up Expendables 3, Spy Kids 3, and Escape Plan 3. I was a little surprised people picked uh, Expendables 3. Now, they either picked it because they like it or they thought we'd crap all over it. I don't know what it is. I just found myself enjoying this more than I thought I was. But it has been six years. And so I think I left the movie theater. I don't know if I watched it on Blu-ray. So now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know because I bought it. It's opened. But I don't remember the movie from 2014 and it's now 2021 so it's been six six and a half years since i've seen it and i found myself i guess prepared for what i already knew my mind was disappointed about i.e the new team i was like okay they're not in it as much as i thought they were there was the whole recruiting phase with kelsey Grammer's character there is no las vegas casino okay where you can go to their parking garage and watch an illegal fight nowhere in las vegas are you I sure you, you know all the haunts and hideouts that was a strip casino. I don't know if you noticed the little lights above the parking spots. I don't know if they have them in other cities. Here, if you go to a strip casino and you go into the garage, you don't have to look for a spot. There's green and red lights above each spot. So if there's an open spot, you'll see a green light 20 oh, nice. feet ahead or whatever. So those were in that scene. And I believe you see a strip casino behind Kelsey Grammer in that shot. No casino is going to take part in that nonsense. Having watched Kelsey Grammer recently in absurdly wonderful Money Plane. Oh, yeah, you mentioned uh, that. <laughs> Kelsey Grammer was really, really good in, in his sequence. It was cool to see because I don't think Kelsey Grammer's ever really flexed his muscles on screen before, and I, he didn't overact here. No. His character was cool. I didn't really care for the overall sequence of the recruiting, but I appreciated the Kelsey Grammer performance. I think this another problem with this movie is it didn't need to be the two hours and six minutes that it was. It could have been an hour 45. You have like two opening action sequences. You have the one where they break Wesley Snipes out of jail and they make that cute little joke about him. Uh, Heard you killed more people than the plague. How about that? The way they call you dog to death. Used to be a medic. But that was a long time ago. So why'd you get locked away? Tax evasion. That's the first real wink at the camera. But then they immediately go to another action sequence after that. So it's, you had two back-to-back -back action sequences, which is cool, but it's almost, well, you, you probably could have chose one. At the end of the day, they made a choice, the producers of the film. Look, we know movies are business. They're there to make money. Ronda Rousey was hot at the time. You know, MMA was hot at the time. It was kind of like a nod at both the reality of these actors getting older. And they did a gamble. They gambled incorrectly. It's been established. They gambled kind of incorrectly. They're saying, look, maybe we can get some young viewers in who would watch this film. Basically like the Creed franchise did. The Creed franchise brought well, in a new audience. They went back and watched the Rocky films when they never saw the Rocky films. So I think they were kind of hoping that we can bring in a new audience of all these other types of fans and their own fandoms that they have and their followers on their social medias and all this stuff. I'm telling you, Craig, this is what they thought. Now, we know it failed. It, it, on paper, it makes it makes sense. It didn't is, pay off. You have to know your audience as these movie producers. You, you have think. to know who these, who these are targeted at. Guys exactly like us, and, and there's millions of us. 
I know the box office was lower than the first two, but do you think the PG-13 rating lost because there's a whole bunch of new young faces that they lost people in our age bracket? Well, that's kind of the argument. Here's the thing. Fast and Furious is a good example of a film, which I think they're horrible films. I'm saying I don't really like them, but they're PG-13. They make a lot of money. And so the argument for PG-13... I think it might have been almost crazy. It's weird because people were whining and bitching and moaning about the PG-13. But at this point, Fast and Furious had already been an established franchise making money. So I I don't think that could lose money. Yeah. No, but the thing is, Ryan, the Expendables was sold on the fact that old school throwback to 80s action films. Sure. All of those old school action films that we watched are rated. To do a pivot like they did. The first two movies were successful enough with the R rating. I think even the second one, they were originally going to do PG-13. And, the, and then if you watch that second one, there's a lot of that digital blood. Because mm-hmm. I think they went in and they, they made it R-rated after the, I think, the uproar. I don't I don't remember if there was the uproar with the third movie. Because I think people just didn't care anymore at that point. I recall a lot of people complaining online about the lack of R-rating. The same that people have been with Deadpool. They were afraid when Disney bought Deadpool. Deadpool's a perfect example. The second movie did even better than the first movie, and they're both R-rated. So know your audience. Mm -hmm. And I think, if anything, a lot of those decisions were disrespectful to the core audience to chase a new audience Mm -hmm. that wasn't there. Who was going to go see Expendables 4 with Ronda Rousey? Come on. What if the storylines were pretty much the same, but they came right out of the gate with this core group of Expendables, the young kids? These are like the action stars of the 2010s. Craig's not having this. He is just not having this. He doesn't want to entertain the idea. I know. I I don't want to entertain the idea either because the Expendables are exactly what we've been missing in action films for the past 30, 40 years. That's fair. That's fair. What if it was marketed as 80s-style action but with fresh, young, new – but you can't dangle those 80s stars in front of us and then show them at the beginning of the film and then yank them away from us for the next hour and a half and then bring them back in. I never knew group. The, really, the only one that I cared about was the one guy who had trouble with authority. I, I even Smiley, I think his name was, the big dude. What do you guys want from me? You running from something? I don't know you. But I know you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How's that? Maybe he thinks you got potential. We're short on time. That about right? That's about it. Well, that's your problem. Your problem is you're rolling around in the dirt for chump change. I hear you lost a few friends in the desert. They bought it. You didn't. You were the guilt. I've been there. He's been there. We all lived it. Well, you don't know me. I know the type. Owner part, you're right. You did waste my time. Hey! You didn't waste your time. He's the only one that, that I really gave a shit about what happened to because the other guys weren't developed. The other characters. Well, I thought they weren't the guy developed. that stole Dolph's smartwatch to jam the signal. I thought that character was probably the most well-written and he was the only one that was really integral to the plot. He actually did something. That was my thorn. Expert hacker. Drone pilot. Did 18 months for hacking in Seattle Central Operating System. Shut down a whole city for three days. Why the hell would he do that? Because he can. And this gets me to a plot point that I think we'll hear from Sean at the end of the episode is, in the second movie, we lose that Hemsworth. Liam. Liam Hemsworth. Obviously, it affects Barney, but not enough to not just 
go ahead and complete the mission and kill Van Damme. It was such a character pivot in this third one for like them to have Terry Crews go down in action and Sly be like, oh, I'm too worried for all my buddies. So I'm going to cut them loose and not give them an opportunity to, you know, make money and support themselves and their family. You know, it's very hard for me to say this, but at one time, you guys were the best. Maybe still are, but nothing lasts forever. Hard as it is to hear, we aren't the future anymore. Unfortunately for us, we're part of the past. As I see it, if we keep this life up, the only way this thing ends, for all of us, is in a hole in the ground and no one giving a shit. Now, if that's the way I'm supposed to go out, I can live with that, for me. But what I can't live with, and won't live with, is taking you with me. What are you saying? That's our call. I'm changing things now. You, me, all of us. It's over. We're done. Done? You break me out, cut me loose? You'll survive. You all will. Live your lives while you can. And get revenge on their fallen comrade. Isn't that like... You know what I think would have been a better way to to bring in this new team? I did like the fact that the new team got basically caught with their pants down. It showed their inexperience and it showed the benefit of, you know, experience and maturity and the wisdom and skill set that comes with that. You almost could have maybe had dueling missions where the Expendables got sent and this new group got sent. And then somehow they co-mingle or something like that. It didn't seem like... Barney from this movie was the Barney from the second movie or the first movie. He wouldn't throw his buddies away for fear that they would get killed. After the Hemsworth kill in the second movie, that guy actually died. Mm-hmm. A violent death in front of them. Yeah, Terry Crews was in a coma that he came out of. Those storytelling beats, they just bug me because it's lazy. And Sly is not that kind of writer. And when he does take those easy way out, pun intended, um, <laughs> It frustrates me because it's cheating. He felt the pressure from studio? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're the money people. They're the ones giving them the money. But at the end of the day, it's story by Stallone and a shared screenwriting credit. Right. Right. You hash those out. You say, this is our script, and this is why this is – and this is why it makes sense. I'm coming from the background of watching the documentary, and I know they have to say certain things – about the film, but there's a couple of things I learned from the documentary that they shared, the actors, the behind-the-scenes people, that kind of speaks to what you're saying, Craig. Their intention for this film, again, it didn't work, because a viewer like you didn't see the documentary, and I didn't see the documentary until today. But they actually purposefully created this movie to be a standalone film. So everything that you said about it not being the same Barney, then you're right. The loss of the Christmas character and his storyline progression and their relationship together, you know, Barney and Christmas seem kind of like, yeah, you're right. Barney firing his team the way he did does not make sense. So, Ryan, not to cut you off, but why call it Expendables 3 at that point? Why not call it Expendables dot, 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 the new blood or Expendables reboot or I don't know or anything? Putting a, a part three in front of it invites me to go back and watch those first two movies and say, yeah, but what about this? Well, yeah, because there's enough carryover. The church character, though he wasn't there, Bruce Willis's uh, character from the first two films was talked about. There was still stuff talked about that had you seen the first two films, you could go, okay, I know what they're talking about. 
if you hadn't seen the first two films, i.e., because you're literally, this is for argument's sake, I'm just saying, to play devil's advocate, you've come into this film because you're a huge Ronda Rousey mark. And so you've come in to watch this. Well, there are. There are people there. Look, I haven't looked at her social media, but I, I assume she's got about a million followers on one of her whatevers. They have to think if half of those million come in, that's 500,000 tickets sold the first weekend, right? I'm just saying. So they come in and say, oh, I kind of like this sly guy and this Jason Statham. I'm going to go check out the first two films. That's their hope. I know it maybe didn't pay off, but that was their hope. Craig's frantically checking his, her social media. 13.2 million followers. That's more the slide. Is, uh, it's suggesting it be called Expendables Reloaded. There you go. But that's another <laughs> point. So Ronda Rousey has 13.2 million followers. And this is the problem with social media is how often does your social media following transfer over to actual butts and seats? I don't know. <laughs> this movie is, I think, minute for minute has some of the best action out of the entire series yes i mean you can't fault that it's a well shot movie like you said ryan it looks good everybody on screen has been to the dance before so they know how to handle weapons they know how to do the the hand-to-hand combat antonio banderas i thought was a great addition because he bought a level of comedy that wasn't too in your face and the fact that you have sort of this older guy that never got his break constantly trying to get in even like when he's doing that all that parkour or whatever he's doing in his introduction scene and he's got the mask on and when he pulls the mask down and kelsey Grammer sees who it is he gets kind of pissed galco you sent me another fake resume uh, mr ross i can do what you need whatever you need i am healthier than i look stronger than i look faster than i look actually shit you were born in 1984 of course not but i feel like i was born in 84. do not waste your time barney relief mr ross mr ross mr ross please it's it's like it's like i have discovered the fountain of youth i mean not the fountain of youth ponce de leon discovered that one by the way another great spaniard like myself no you know mr ross age is just a state of mind you know you're only old when you surrender when you give up and i haven't not yet Yago, this shit has got I to stop go. this is the third time this month seriously move on this guy's story actually i feel a little sorry for him his last team dropped him back in the day you couldn't catch him very fast maybe even faster no than way you. oh maybe but what am i gonna say it's a young man's game Just the joy. I mean, Antonio Banderas is really good at showing joy on screen. Looking for that approval from Barney. Antonio Banderas is one of the highlights. I agree. He's a, he's a highlight. And we're kind of not talking about Mel. Maybe we're saving it for later. But I want to talk about him for sure. I think the weakest part of the film, for a couple of reasons, is the new characters. They, as themselves, weren't great. It was a gamble that didn't pay off. You know, Ronda Rousey, again, she had 13 million, probably at least 7 to 8, 10 million at a time followers on social media. They say, hey, she's got a big following. If we get half those people to the butts in their seats, no, that's, that's money in our pocket, okay? So these guys came in, but they didn't. maybe they didn't bring anything into the seats. Or maybe they did. Maybe this movie would have bombed more. I don't know. I think how they could have fixed this film and made it that hour and 40-minute film that we talked about is they literally just take out the new people. 
You could literally have the same breakout with Wesley Snipes, but you could still have maybe some of the core members being caught. You could still have a Harrison Ford's character gently entrenched in the helicopter coming to save all those beats, all those action sequences. Everything would have still been met. The whole storyline is taken out. The only difference is, is maybe a couple members get captured, not four. And it's still a rescue mission. Ironically, it's like the Rocky Five moment where they should have had the fight in the ring. It would have been a better film with Expendables 3. Take out the new people. Keeping all the whole people, have your additional people like Harrison Ford, Antonio Banderas, all those beats, good as he was, take out the Kelsey Grammer part, somehow have Antonio enter in a different manner, just bugging the team in their garage or something. Who knows, you know? Going back to Antonio Banderas, definitely a great addition to the, the franchise. So is Wesley Snipes, but Banderas like really looked like he was having fun. He did. On screen in filming he was hilarious i laughed out loud literally legitimately laughed out loud at some of his lines it was he was, was really great. good man he was great he was and he played like that frantic just chatterbox <laughs> that wouldn't shut up like he played that part to a t and i didn't see a whole lot of his former films but wasn't he like, like the smoldering kind of yeah but the quiet smoldering like desperado type guy too well, if, if you watch desperado there's a lot of comedic beats in that movie that are there because of Antonio. It's an action movie. It's a balls-to-the-wall action movie for sure. But a lot of those action sequences hit the way they do because of Antonio and his physicality, but also because of his humor. Antonio might be one of the most purely talented people in this film. Okay, yeah. I'm a huge, huge Mel Gibson fan. I have been watching Mel Gibson films for, well, I'll never forget the first time I saw Lethal Weapon, the opening sequence when I was like 12 years old, that freaking naked hooker jumping out the window. I was like, what am I watching? I've loved Crazy Mel. And I get his, I understand his, mm, I know. So how long have you hated the Jews, right? Yeah, yeah, I knew. Here we go. Yeah. Well, see, Mel and I see eye to eye. So, no, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I got to tell you, Ryan, Mel Gibson is incredibly, incredibly talented individual. Yes. And his acting in this movie is low-key remarkable. Yes. Especially in the scene where they've captured him and they're in the van. If you just look at the speech that Mel gives, and if you just look at the sort of the way his eyes are, his are eyes. And, look, and looking at other people. Whoa. Oh, good morning. Are these your students? Hey, kids, what'd you learn tonight, huh? Hey, what happened to the old crew? Oh, that's right. They stuck their noses into other people's worlds and got fatally injured. Now they're the deletables. Hey, you hear that, kids? Take note, because that's what you're doing right now. Let me shut his mouth. You're talking pretty tough to a guy who's incapacitated, which is good for you. Does it? Why don't you cut me loose? I'll open your meat shirt and show you your own heart. Hey, Parn, why don't the two of us just end this? What do you say? Mix it up. Either you snapping my spine or me snapping yours. You know, make it snappy. He thinks I'm joking. I'm not joking. You should see me when I'm angry. You'd be very impressed. Then very dead. So come on, pal. Anything you want to get off your chest? Come on, lay it out. I'm a good listener. You're going to take me back to the has-been crew? Carve me up around a fire? Very tribal. When we stop, I want to break every bone in your body. Metropolis left at the Hague. The Hague. Well, <laughs> I finally made that big time. I'm a war criminal. Keep laughing. <laughs> Do you think that you can just deliver me 
like a package. We were close once. See, we started this whole Expendables thing together. See, look, I got the markers. I've been faded, but we had a falling out. It went dark. It's a dark business, Barney. Don't pretend you're not in it. The baddest survived. Those are the rules. I didn't make them up. You see, Barney here was content to work for the small end money as an employee. And being boss is more lucrative, but that's a concept that somehow eluded you. Plus, you got that pesky moral conscience. God, that stuff gets in the way. He thinks he's the good guy. Keep talking while you can. Sure. You got a conscience, and that makes you weak. Success, real success, is being willing to do the things that other people are not. Not everyone's as sick as you. Oh, but you are. Did you kill anyone today, Barn? Blow any shit up? How about you, kids? Kill anyone? Before you all start grabbing bricks to stone me at The Hague, you might want to check your own hands for blood. <sighs> but I digress. Where was I? Yes, business is booming, right? A chopper here, a missile there, guns, whatever. When suddenly, a competitor, if you can call Uncle Sam a competitor, hires my own team, Barney and the whole gang, to whack me. Things got ugly real fast and a lot of people got dead. Three former brothers in arms. You shut your mouth. Three expendables, our brothers, men we ate with, fought with, bled with, dead. He puts three slugs into my chest, thank God for body armor, even I thought I was dead. And then he boogies out with the casualty, all dead, because you couldn't stay out of my business. Shut your mouth! Barney, Barney! Go on, do it! <clears throat> oh, it's hard to fathom. I can't believe you forgot. What? That it's hard to beat an enemy when he's living inside your own head. See, so you tie me up like an animal, lead me to the slaughter, you humiliate me, disgrace me. Now when the time comes to kill you, and it will, I will not use a weapon, I will use my hands, because I want you to feel the way that I feel right now. You can tell that Mel actually thinks about his performance, and it's not just somebody reading lines and not understanding what they're saying. Mel had a complete understanding of his character and of the lines he was reading. And I almost wonder if some of that was completely related to what was going on in his personal life. The fact that he was not getting a lot of work in Hollywood. Substitute Hollywood for the CIA. I know. You can sort of see Stonebank's point of view. I mean, Mel is super, super talented. But you know what? There are a lot of really super talented people in this world that don't bring the ugliness that Mel has a tendency I, to bring. I know. I, I'm not excusing this. I'm strictly looking at his performance as a performer. No joke. That van scene yeah. is probably, out of the all three movies, is the best acting in this series, hands down. It beats Mickey Rourke's monologue in the tattoo parlor? Yeah. I you think guys, so. There's yeah. no doubt. Forget his politics and whatever his big mouth got him into trouble. Like if you look at this performance in a vacuum, the guy is tremendous. And I can't believe this was only the second time he played a villain. Yeah, I know. He, he's great at it. Yeah, he's dynamite, man. He re like he really was like a scary kind of villain. He was a marquee star. So marquee stars don't really play villains. It was the first time uh, Machete kills. Machete. Yeah. 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 I love that. It's it's amazing, too, because if these guys really just would have realized that and known this th 30 years ago, how much more marketable and how how much broader their careers could have been if they didn't just stick to the hero roles. 
I loved watching him. He chews up the scenery in a great way. He loves being the bad guy or playing it. He said in the documentary, the behind the scenes, he had a lot of fun on the film. And you could see it. Like, he was very relaxed. I had a lot of fun doing this. He said that he likes playing the villain because it's fun to play a villain. He also says, I didn't attack it like he was the bad guy. He goes, I don't try to understand. I don't make them bad or good. I just play what this character is. And you can kind of see some of the things he was saying to Barney Ross in the van. You're kind of like, oh, I see his point. And you can almost see from Sly's acting. Sly did a great job acting off Mel there, too, where there's a couple times where Barney didn't have a response to the hard truce. And a good bad guy will say a truth to the good guy. We're like, man, I can't argue with that. It's coming from the bad person. But even though it's coming from the bad person, it doesn't mean it's not wrong. We talked about this with Sly, Wasted Years. You know, he picked bad projects. And you talk about Mel, the Wasted Years are not doing anything. And it's so frustrating watching talent go by the wayside because of, yeah, he's been blacklisted a little bit. But he's got a little bit of resurgence uh, lately. He's actually coming out with a movie right now with Frank Grillo, Gillo Grillo from um, yeah. the Kingdom TV show. It's called Boss Level. The trailer's out. And yeah. he plays another bad guy. Yeah, isn't it like that Tom Cruise movie, Live, Die, Repeat? Yeah, it's like a loop. Boss Level. Day. Buying a steak into a shitty movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Boss level. That's right. I forgot. Whoa, that's a callback to Backtrace. Yeah. And there, there's also an, a movie on um, Netflix that I saw with Mel and another pretty big actor. That's right. Are you like talking about Drag from the Concrete? Dragged Across Concrete? No, no. That's um with. I want to see that. I no. heard that's okay. Yeah. That, well, that's that Greg Sathler, I think his yeah, name is. He's I like kind him. of a, a new. He did um Bone, the, what, Bone Tomahawk? Cell Block 99 and Bone Tomahawk oh. and. Vince Vaughn's like his De Niro. Yeah, that's right. I love it. <laughs> uh, Mel Gibson did a great job. Sean and his uh, audio that we'll play at the end, he wanted to be on the show. That's Sean Malloy from the uh, I Must Break This Podcast podcast, who was, deals with Dolph Lundgren films. He's kind of like the Stallone podcast with Dolph Lundgren. So he's representing uh, his career on that end. We appreciate his hard work. We've all been on that show, too. I don't think I've been on it yet. Oh. I don't think I have. No, I haven't. Me and Doug have. Yeah, well, you guys, you know, I know. I mean, Sean hasn't <laughs> Sean hasn't invited me. Even though he invited himself on this show, he's never – no, I'm sure. Sean, we love you. <laughs> he, he said he wants to be with us when we talk about Expendables Part 1 because of Dolph's uh, involvement in that. But he couldn't be here today due to family stuff. So we're going to play at the end of this episode the uh, audio version of what he felt about the film, his audio essay. He did a great job. He also made a comment kind of what we were talking about before. Stallone firing his team makes absolutely zero sense. Why not up the stakes and kill off Jet Li and Terry Crews since they add nothing? They should have killed Jet Li in the second movie. And Terry Crews. Instead of from, having him parried out with the Chinese businessman. I think Terry Crews was intended to be killed off in this one, but he begged Stallone not to do it. Well, yeah, you don't want to jeopardize that big money that could come with a Expendables Part 4. Yeah, Sean also brought up an interesting point where he said, and he's right about this. I agree totally. But this talks about taking out the new players. Just take out the, the what do I say, the new players? I mean, the young ones. Keep Antonio, keep Harrison Ford, keep Mel Gibson. They were all fun. I'm sorry. To see Mel Gibson and Sly on the screen together, what fun. You know what I mean? He said it was, it was kind of an odd choice to have so many quote unquote good guys. And I agree with that point. It's like, oh, that's true. Mel Gibson. Now, Mel Gibson, and maybe that's a credit to him because I didn't even make that connection. Until after Sean said that, I was like, oh, yeah, it was kind of like Mel against everybody. Well, Mel didn't even have a henchman. If you look at the first movie, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Eric Roberts' henchman. Second movie, you've got Scott Atkins is Jean-Claude Van Damme's henchman. Yeah, there wasn't a good henchman. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably too because it's Mel Gibson, you know, showing just how and good, like crazy Mel. But there's a scene in the van where he said when the one of the young guys was saying like, "Oh, you know, you're not so tough" or something. And Mel's character's uh, that's pretty big talk for someone who doesn't have their hands tied behind their back. Take off my cuffs. And he said, I'll, I'll rip your heart out of your flesh chest or something. Or what do you say? <laughs> meat, uh, or your meat shirt. Your meat, meat shirt. shirt. Yeah. Whoa, yeah, that was that's... great. And I was like, oh, I believe him. And that's how dangerous he is. And then when, of course, when the Expendables were killing all of the army, you know, the whole nation's army of that fake country, Mel Gibson's character Stonebanks is like, how hard is it to kill or even injure one of those guys? How hard can it be to kill 10 men? You think you could even just wound a couple? Watch closely. And again? Anybody else? It's kind of like a good little wink at the audience, like, yeah, why are we, you know, injuring these expendables? And he takes off and says, I'm going to do this by myself. It would have been cool to see Mel have a quote unquote henchman, but at the same time, it's like, he doesn't need a Scott Atkins. He doesn't need a Stone Cold Sea of Austin. He was. You could think that he's just like the brains or the money behind the, the operation or anything. But once you find out he was a former expendable, now you're like, oh man, this guy knows how to fight. He knows how to kill. Uh, the mythos of this. I like that we saw there's a rotating cast of characters, you know, the startup some years ago. Wesley Snipes' doc character was was in prison for eight years, but he was there at the beginning with Stonebanks and Sly. But Stonebanks and Sly were the Statham, the nerd in me. It'd be kind of cool to see the early days, the Expendables, the early days. Maybe that's where you get the young players. Oh, you know what? I'm I'm sure Stallone is going to go on Instagram and talk about Expendables Year One, a Netflix limited series, and get everybody all worked up like they got worked up for the Zombie Squad Cobra Netflix series that we're going to get and whatever other nonsense he's teased that we'd be getting via streaming services. I know he's going to have like a screenplay. He's going to have pieces of paper on his desk and notes, Cobra 2, Expendables <laughs> prequel. He's like, oh, I don't know what these are doing here. I'm just ruffling through my papers. Oh, you know, I just uh, were writing today and I don't know. I saw, you know, and everyone's going to freak out. <laughs> Nothing will ever happen. I know. He's the king of ideas. I love him, but boy, he's the king of ideas. It's not bad to have ideas, but there's a point where if you have an idea, don't share it until you're ready to deliver. Agreed. How about the spinoffs that they were talking about, about the all-female cast? Did you see that? The Expendables? Expendables. No, not, it's they, not called that anymore. Oh, okay. They, they changed the name. Uh, well, maybe it's called Expendable. I Actually, I heard it's called uh, the Expendables A Christmas Story. That's supposed to be about <laughs> Lee Christmas. Right. And the Expendables was supposed to have like Sigourney Weaver, Meryl Streep, I guess the, the female version of this. And... Stop it, Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen. Apparently, it's still happening. According to Wikipedia, I, we're going to get that. I'm not a misogynistic person. Yes, females, they can be badasses on screen, but you don't have to reboot every male driven story with a female cast just to show how badass females are. Does that make me sound like an asshole? No, there hasn't oh, been no. any update on this movie since 2014. Well, that's the other thing. I can't believe this movie already came out seven years ago. We've kind of done what I thought we were going to do, and I I don't know if that's good or bad, but we haven't talked at all about the – well, we sort of talked about the film, but really – There's really not a big plot here. No. There's no ticking time bomb really except for the one that paused up that building. <laughs> there's no um, ticking I mean, time bomb except for the ticking I mean, time like bomb. You know, the other two movies had sort of stakes at the end. There's mm-hmm. really no stakes in, in this movie, and it's really just sort of connect – 
action sequence A to action sequence B to action sequence C. Everything else sort of just took a back seat to that. I mean, if you really wanted to run through the plot of this movie, there's there's not a lot of meat in this. Well, we it, just talked about the big plot points. There's a prison breakout at the beginning, big action sequence. Then uh, they go uh, intercept some bomb delivery, which turns out to be Stone Banks. Stone Banks uh, escapes that. Oh, uh, with, the, with the excellent Robert Davy. Oh, man. Is that guy getting uglier and uglier or what? <laughs> But that was such a cool role. I mean, because, I mean, if you go back to the 80s, he's in Die Hard. He's in a bunch of those. He was in Raw Deal with Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he was never he was never an action guy, but he was in action movies. Doesn't he play like an Armenian or something in this one? The Albanian mafia. Here's the little interesting side note. The actress that was, I, I don't have her name in front of me, but the actress that was playing Mel Gibson's wife in the film, you probably saw her very briefly. Did you hear about this? At the oh. Cannes Film Festival party, she tried to hit on Mel, like dance with him and stuff, and, and get up and close with him, and she got rejected uh, by him at the at the party. Mel doesn't need any more ex-wives and any more alimony payments and child support payments. He's tapped out. No mas. She was taking the uh, what do you call method acting for the role way too far. The film was already like uh, done. He's like, I'm still your wife, right? And he's like, get out of here. But it was enough of an issue that it made it on Wikipedia. <laughs> That's funny. Harrison Ford. Let's talk about Harrison Ford here. Yeah. Upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. I liked him much better. Well, and, and, and I got to say, I talk about this on my, my Pulp Fiction podcast, Conversations at Jackrabbit Slims, and you two guys can't duck me much longer. It's coming. I'll talk uh, to you I'm, offline when I'm available because it's coming. I got, I got I'm windows. I'm running out of content. So uh, okay. I talk about this on that podcast. Bruce Willis can be a great actor sure. when he wants to be, but much like Nick Cage – He's sort of just taken paychecks and done movies. And the Expendable movies were like that for me. It was cool seeing him and Sly and and Arnold crazy. all together. Even though I don't think you ever see all three of them on screen because they were – I don't think they filmed that scene together no. in the first Expendable. I think even the helicopter sequence, even though Harrison's character was flying the helicopter, Trench was never seen with Harrison at the same time. Yeah, yeah. The performances by – Bruce Willis in the Expendable movies are not anything to write home about. Harrison Ford was actually, his character was really cool in here. You know, they sort of, they set it up. They say, you know, Church, you don't have to worry about anymore. I'm supposed to meet a guy named Church. I know you were. So who are you? Operations Officer Drummer. You don't have to worry about Church anymore. He's, uh, he's out of the picture. Picture, um, which is a total nod to the fact he's not in this movie because movies are called moving pictures. So he's out of the picture. You don't have to worry about him. He wanted too much money, probably. Did you hear about it was what a happened? Matter of one million dollars. Yeah, they were going to pay him three million. He wanted four. He wanted four for three days' work. Said Harrison Ford was was an upgrade. He started off as the church character, kind of a dick, and just wants the job done his way. And then by the end, you, he's like he's part of the team. It's he's, awesome. You're totally invested. Well, in him. Well, yeah, the cool thing about it was Max Drummer character is you could tell that he was a career bureaucrat, right? And he was frustrated that Barney's team's failure had left him exposed to all kinds of heat that he was getting within his organization. Jesus, Ross, what a mess. We gave you everything. Target opportunity, all the intel you could ask for, and and you got decimated 
and my target walked away. Am I wrong, huh? Am I missing something? Yeah. Church said the target's name was Victor Menz. And? He was wrong. His real name was Conrad Stonebanks. We knew him only as Victor Menz. Arms dealer made billions selling to every psycho warlord in Africa and the Middle East. As his own mercenary army, he's personally responsible for torturing and killing two of the best men I ever knew, friends. I don't give a shit what his name is. I don't like him. I want him as bad as you do. This happened on my watch. You fucked up. And I'm wearing it. I'll find him again. You got one more shot. Nice to finally meet you, Barney. Your men are shot to shit. What are you gonna do for a team? Don't worry about it. I'll handle it, Joe. Relax. You're gonna give yourself a stroke. So it was cool to see him express that frustration and then the evolution that led to him, you know, unofficially, he wasn't representing the CIA at the end of the movie. He takes the Velcro patch off to signify that. This is it? This is your evac team? Short notice. Yeah, very short. Where's your team, Major Drummer? No team, this one's off the books. I'm not even here. Oh, nobody's here. Yeah, he you know, probably had the best arc in the movie. He was a pencil pusher, but his background came from being a, a military pilot or whatever, like being grown up in the shit. He's seen his share of action, just like Dylan and Predator. He became pushing too many pencils. <laughs> <laughs> when I first heard about Bruce Willis not making the cut for part three, it's like, oh, that's not good. It's not good for, I don't, and I like Bruce. I like him. It's, it's tough because I, I think it was a really, um, it was a real sore spot for both Sly and Bruce. It, they left on bad terms and it kind of sucked. It's about money and Sly's like, come on, man. No one's getting that kind of payday, you know? And so when he left and I heard that Harrison Ford got cast to replace that role or to replace that story part, but replacing it with a different character, I was like, Harrison Ford? Because Harrison Ford, he's a pretty highbrow actor in, in his own right. Like, he doesn't seem like the guy is going to do an Expendables film. As I was watching the film, again, the behind the scenes stuff, he legitimately looks like he had a lot of fun. Just letting his, literally let his hair down, doing a kind of a fun, balsable action movie. Because when's the last time he did... Other than like the Tom Clancy novel movies or Star Wars, I understand those are action movies, but they're not the action movies we're talking about. Like the actual like Indiana Jones. No, but the the yeah, but the endless body count ones, you know. Yeah, and I think he was having a blast. And when he said to the Barney character at the end, you know, drummer, working with you ain't been so bad. I haven't had so much fun in years. Fun's important. I got a feeling that this was kind of Harrison saying it too. I actually. Maybe I like to think that, but I think he could tell that he was actually having fun. There was a gag reel for this film. There was Harrison laughing. When was the last time you saw him laugh? Laughing at jokes, laughing at behind-the-scenes stuff? I don't well, know. Did what- they tell you what he was laughing at? They caught him watching the dailies of all the Ronda Rousey outtakes. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he was the biggest surprise cast, and he was actually... Oh, he, he was way bigger than this movie. Yeah. Way bigger. And that's not taking anything away from the star that Sly is, but this is Sly's bread and butter. If you didn't know Harrison Ford was in this movie and then he pops up on screen, that's like a oh shit moment. Yeah. And he even says to Sly's character in the film, you owe me a favor. Again, it's that art, life, and life and art. So you kind of wonder, you owe me a favor. You got Barney, what favor? No. 
<laughs> also, people are saying, of course, endless smattering for Sly, his work ethic, and just that he's uh, the one of the nicest guys on set. Uh, he's the hardest working guy on set, but he jokes. He's so lighthearted. I know it's, that's the behind-the-scenes stuff. Every time I get behind-the-scenes stuff regarding Sly from either real civilians outside of the business, it seems like you always hear the same thing. He's hardworking and he's easygoing, but he's a workhorse. You know what? He looked great in this movie. Yeah. Like, no goatee, whatever. that's why. Oh, I didn't analyze that, but absolutely. He looks absolutely. better. He looks better without it. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't he have a little gray, too? He wasn't completely jet black, absurd. Just real quick, before you yeah, move on from Harrison Ford, I was just reminded of some of the stuff I laughed at mostly that did involve Antonio Banderas is when drummer couldn't understand what he was saying. Yeah. Thought you should know, Barney, you're walking so, into a shit storm. NSA ran a signals and frequency check on your team's phones. This bastard's not even trying to hide them. Where's he taking them? They're in Asmanistan. Another honeymoon hotspot. Who is that? Late Christmas. Not far off Christmas. Stonebank's compound is where he trains his goons. It's very heavily fortified. What's up with the local army? I don't understand a word this guy is saying. Local army status. Small, corrupt. Stonebank's got all the brass in his pocket. He's been running his operations through the shithole of a country for years. Want some advice? What's the advice? What goddamn language is that? You know, tell you that I don't understand you either. Look who's talking. <laughs> what language is he speaking? That's an actor able to do that to a guy like Statham oh. when... Harrison Ford is yeah he's like royalty on that film. Oh, I'm sorry. It, yeah, it was Statham, not Banderas. My bad. Oh, yeah, oh no, but, yeah, but the I Banderas, but you're right. Sly's character says, "You are hard to understand," and then Statham goes, "You're one to talk." <laughs> so I kind of like that. I know that's people don't like that sometimes. The kind of the wink at the camera, but there's a part of me like, you know, these guys have already they've already spilt blood on screen, so to speak, in these years. It's kind of fun to we all get the jokes now. We know they're old. We know Sly mumbles. We know Harrison could be a little bit cankerous. We know, so it's kind of fun to watch it all happen together. Well, that's the kind of stuff that I love about these films. I think it was Randy Couture who said something about kicking in the door and spraying bullets. And Ronda Rousey goes, "Great plan if it was 1985." Man, this guy's protected better than the president. Yeah, and his crib's like a five-star fortress. So we're not taking him there. The hotel is full of guests. So where do we hit him? At the meet. We hit him from all four sides. Hit him hard. Okay, um, so our plan is to, what, kick down the door and start spraying bullets? It's a great plan. This is 1985. It was that supposed to mean? You heard me? That was actually, you know what that was a reference to? Rambo. First Blood, part two, when he kicks down the door and sprays bullets at the machines. And that's exactly what he did that same year. All right, the one that I thought was kind of like cheesy, and of course it involved Arnold, was the two, not oh. one, but two get to the top moments. Good morning. Let's get to the chopper. Let's go. <laughs> and then he gave another one. Did you hear the other reference? The True Lies reference. He goes, I lied. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it was Commando. Oh, yeah. that's right. Commando. That's right. But he also said it to, uh, he also said it to J. Lee Curse's character in True Lies when she goes, you, you told me you were this one. He goes, but he was drunk on drugs already. He goes, I lied or something like yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> I love him. The worst Predator callback is in that the newest Predator they made, The Predator, I think it's yeah. called, with the 12-foot tall Predator. There's a scene where they have to get to their motorcycles, and the guy says, get to the choppers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
man. Oh, man. <laughs> I almost turned the movie off at that point. <laughs> okay, going back to the new characters a little bit. Their backgrounds, the, like what they were in the past, especially like Ronda Rousey's character. She's a bouncer, you know, at a bar. But she's already able to like ha- do this like, military training type armed conflict type stuff that I admit that's like, okay, we're getting a little bit still here. And they're like, they're all pair jumper qualified. That's harder than you think to jump out of a plane at that altitude. All four of them happen to have background and solo pair jumping in the dark and where to land properly and, and all this stuff. What I was also confused about is where those two guys were on the top of the building. We see them start at the top of the building to repel down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why did they start at the top to go to a lower part of the building? Why did they just go to the lower part of the building? I why did they just start where they belong? Because <laughs> they got dropped off, probably, right? They the helicopter probably dropped them off there. That was a long rappel, too. It was a pretty good rappel. Was, that, was it a helicopter that put them there? Did we see that? No, but why did they just start remember. at that level? Why did they have to go all the... Did you not want to see a nice kick-ass rappel sequence? Oh, I live for those things. Yeah, Well, sure. so then you have to accept them being on the roof. Just to get the cliffhanger reference? Mm-hmm. When they're doing the so recruiting, like, and the guy was on the cliffs, and he jumps. One of the greatest lines of the movies goes to Wesley Snipes when uh, Barney's talking about an agency spook. Oh, <laughs> what? And yeah, he goes, "Excuse me." He goes, "Agency official, relax." I just got the location from a guy named Church, an agency spook. Excuse me. Agency official, relax. <laughs> Yeah, this is good stuff. Again, talking about Kelsey Grammer, I love him. I'm a big Fraser fan. So I, by nature, I'm a, I'm a Kelsey Grammer fan. I love Fraser. He's not synonymous with 80s action either, but I thought he fit in well. He did. That whole recruiting scene, I want to mention this before, kind of reminded me of the Ocean's Eleven, you know, when he's recruiting guys for mm-hmm. the team. You know, I forgot who one, one of you guys said you didn't really enjoy it that much, but I kind of dug it. Well, I mean, it was supposed to make us excited about these new team members that didn't generate any excitement. Except I, yeah. for, I guess, the people that were there to see Ronda Rousey. I was, or, yeah, I was know, waiting for a few big reveals, and there really wasn't any. Yeah, I think they missed the mark on the casting. The idea of having new people isn't that bad of an idea if they were able to maybe get a different kind of cast. Yes, recruiting new recruits. That whole sequence was fun because it was Kelsey Grammer's slide. They had a great, I want to see a Bonaparte Barney Ross movie. You know, like a buddy comedy road movie. Those two are fun together. When he was in the pile of Netflix movie series we'll never see. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I enjoyed their banter in the truck when uh, Kelsey Grammer was going on about his cancer. When was your last checkup? I don't know, a while back. High cholesterol, plaque, all that stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, except with me. I found a lump on my lung. Very dark, I said. Well, I sure didn't see that coming. What do you do? I'm trying to make as much money as I can, fast as I can. Yeah. For those kids, you know, the ones I don't talk to. Make some kind of good impression on them. Oh, God. Sad, isn't it? Yeah, it is sad. Sorry. Nah, it's all bullshit. I'm fine. What? Just checking you're still human. <laughs> How'd you go in there, though, didn't you? Yeah, you did, goddammit. That can never happen again. I'll never trust right, you again. Funny, but a very poignant moment, you know, and it was done very well. And there's moments like that between their ba- It was fun to see Kelsey Grammer have fun in this type of movie and hold his own. And because he's a little bit of a highbrow actor in his own right. <laughs> and if you haven't watched Money Plane, please watch Money Plane. Like Mikhail's Navy or some yeah. shit like that. I, anyways, all I'm saying is I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed their banter. I thought it was fun. I thought they both did a great he job. Also it, won, I agree. 
also won a Razzie for this movie. This is so, so stupid. Actor and you no know, Arnold and Mel were both nominated stupid. as well. So I hate the, the, we've talked about terrible. how absurd the Razzies are here, but the fact that Mel Gibson was nominated for worst supporting actor just shows how lazy and uninspired the Razzies are. Yeah, that's just doing that because he's Mel Gibson. I hate that stuff. Like, just don't look if you don't like him as an actor, that's fine. But to say he did a bad job, he was. Watch rewatching him playing this villain is ooh he's giving Van Damme a run for his money for villain here because it was the problem with the Razzies is they always go for the low hanging fruit they never have the stones to call out the really shitty movies or shitty performances because they don't want to piss anybody off yeah there's a funny story about the Razzies I might have told it on this show before but um <laughs> when Tom Green made Freddy Got Fingered it got nominated for like everything. And he won, and he actually showed up to accept his award. They had to make an award for him. They don't normally give you the actual award. I he showed up. He's like, I want my Razzie. I think Sandra so Bullock actually, did that too. Who did? Sandra, oh, yeah, Sandra Bullock too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it, it was funny to see like when people call them out for it. Those people should not have been nominated. All right, well, seven years. We don't have Expendables 4, but according to IMDb, it's in production. It's apparently supposed to be Antonio Banderas supposed to come back, Dolph Lundgren. Of course, Statham and Stallone, that's the confirmed rumored casting. According to Wikipedia, December 2021 is when we get Expendables, A Christmas Story. Yeah. I was pissed off in the end when all the other new guys had the Expendables tattoo because that indicated that they would all be back. They'll be back. The Asian woman from part two was back. Yeah, that's right. You're not Expendable. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. They're Uh, not going to be invited back to the party. Would you want to see Expendables before? Are you guys done with the series? Or I want to see more movies like this. I want like a celebration of '80s action, man. We don't. We just don't get it anymore. I, John I Cena. Like I'm not invested. Marine, I guess. Marine, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Twelve rounds. I don't know. Maybe we are getting these movies. Or just. And this is another sort of problem with modern cinema. Action movies used to be legitimate, for lack of a better word. Mm. So all those movies that go straight to streaming or go straight to DVD now, they used to get legitimate theatrical releases. And nowadays, movies just go straight to streaming, and there's so much shit that comes out that it just gets lost. I would like to see with an Expendables 4 is a return to the roots. Instead of making 17 people on your poster, make it smaller. Maybe make it a Barney and a Christmas, like that first movie where they're on the island, they're the only two expendables in that movie for a good chunk of it. Right. Do a return to that. They definitely said they're going back to the hard R. I think they will strip it down a little bit. I think they're going to do, it's a knee-jerk reaction, but maybe it's the right one. You know, the budget can only get so big before a movie's not profitable. Mm -hmm. Out of the litany of crap that we've seen in this journey of a year plus that we've been doing this, these expendable films are ones that I will revisit over and over again. You can handpick something that we've done over the past year, and I'll never watch it again. Ryan alluded to this. These are well-made movies. Patrick Hughes is a filmmaker that knows what he's doing. The technical team behind it knows how to shoot action. And everybody in front of the camera we've talked about knows how to handle weapons. Wesley Snipes is a trained martial artist. He might even know Taekwondo. Uh, Oh, man. Don't get me started on Taekwondo. (laughs) That's the thing is, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff where people were involved with these 
movies that probably shouldn't have been involved in these slime movies. So when you see people that are actually competent and are good at their job, it reminds you of how special these movies can be or should be, really. There's celebrations of what we grew up watching and loving. I don't have too much bad things to say about them. I know where the cheesy aspects are. I know where they go off the rails, but I don't care because I'm, I'm in it for the thrill ride. Overall, I enjoyed yeah. the film. I think I enjoyed it more the second viewing, six years later, fresh eyes, maybe just we've got so many dumpster fires in our show regarding Sly. Like Hades was an absolute, it maybe it just reminded us of, hey, there's some fun Sly films out there. And I think it was just fun again to watch a, a movie with Sly, having a good time, the cast having a good time. It was better filmed than I anticipated. It looked good on uh, my 4K high def TV. It looked good, but it also did expose some of the cheaper CGI that maybe was hard to see on film, but it, it, didn't, uh, it didn't make it less fun. It's the worst of the three. That's fair. I, I can't argue with that. It's not as far down as I thought. So I think if it was the rank, the three, I think we have to say three is the bottom. I think one still might be the middle. Part two, one, two is the three. best. You like one better than two? One is the best movie from a complete storytelling and execution standpoint. I think you can debate one and two. I think there's a relevant argument for either Maybe part of the reason why I like this one a little bit more, too, is I did watch the unrated version on the Blu-ray. It's an extra five minutes of film. So there were extended scenes. The fight sequences were, uh, they didn't pan out. Did you guys see the theatrical cut? I watched the theatrical. Okay, when Statham stabbed the guy, did that knife still, was that still in the shoulder? Was that? Okay, so there you go. So, you know, you fought that big guy that went through the wall. In the unrated version, how he killed him was, it was pretty brutal. He had a pretty brutal fight, puts his head through the wall, and then he's he sliced him with the knife on his leg, his arm, his side. Did you see that? I don't recall. I hate to say my viewing experience might be a little bit better because I saw what was essentially the rated R version. Cool fight. It's like slicing him on the side, slicing him on the leg and the arm. The guy goes, hunches down, and you think he's going to stab him in the back of the head. It's like, oh, that's going to be brutal. But he stabs him right here, like right here in his neck area, and this big, big ass knife is sticking out of this guy's shoulder, and it goes down like this. So that was in the unrated version. So, and there was another scene where he, he multi stabs guys. I think that was cut off in the theatrical version. Like he just, and like that. There's no blood still, and I understand that's still criticism people have with the unrated. But I'm telling you, watching the unrated version up the violence quite a bit. Like there's a lot of like close in gunshots up close. Like Tony Banderas was like was shooting people right in the chest, like right like no room. Boom, boom, boom. This is like absolutely brutal gun violence without the blood. The unrated version did amp up the violence. The blood's still not there, but the intensity of the violence scenes were still pretty. It was pretty high. If you have the Blu-ray or you have access to the unrated version, I'd recommend watching it because it is a bit of a different film. Maybe that's why I liked it a little bit more. It felt grittier than what I remember. So there's two arguments with this film. The first being the new team, the new blood. What a waste of time. Screen, I get it. Okay. And the, and on top of it, the characters they picked weren't that great, like the actors. The other argument people had was it was a PG-13 film. So the unrated, I think, takes care of the PG part, but unfortunately doesn't take care of the, the new staff. Oh, we should say it, it didn't make worldwide box office $236 million. So not a bomb. It just made the least amount of the three. It cost close to $100 million too. Yeah. Made a little bit of money back. And unfortunately, it did suffer from an early leak. It turns out there was an actual DVD quality screener that was stolen from the studio. And that was put on the internet. I think they got the guy. I'm not sure. That's pretty crappy, man. Like this, because at the end of the day, people work on this film. People have jobs, you know. The, from the, people. 
yeah, thousands of people. And, and you're putting people out of work and, or you're lessening their future cut for films. In all honesty, though, you, you could argue, let's say out of the how many people that watch that pirated copy that they got off of a torrent site or whatever actually plan to go pay money to see that. I, I understand that. They say it was at least 2 million people download an individual copy. So that's if the average ticket price was $8 million, you're looking at $16 million loss at the box office. It's not a small amount, but it's but it's not Avenger numbers either. I understand. Yeah. But I mean, that's the one thing with piracy that always kind of gets me is there's a lot of pirate shit that they have no intention of ever paying for. So it's not like it's lost money. I they watched it for free, which is screwed up. But I'm sure that what you said, two million people. Yeah, twenty million. Yeah, two million people. There's probably a high percentage of that. People weren't going to watch it until it was on Spike TV. Very valid point. Talk about Avengers, huge box office success, and I guarantee it had more downloads, more illegal downloads than any other film, you know, for a long, long time. But it still made mega money because at the end of the day, people that want to see it in the big screen and want to pay for it, they're going. They're not going to pirate it. The people that pirated it who never intend to see it anyway, so you're right. It's not money lost because they're never going to watch it. Maybe half of them are like, fine, I'll go see it. And some people watch it and they watch it in the theater anyways. I heard about that too. So people do that too. They're like, oh, I just can't wait, but I'm going to go watch it in the movie too. See it on the big screen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But mm-hmm. All right. Well, we want to thank everyone that joined us uh, via live. We went live on Facebook. It looked like it worked okay. We got a few comments and then people popping in and out. That's fine. I don't expect people to stick around for the whole thing. This will be out as an audio edit on our iTunes and all your favorite pod catchers. February 6th is the goal date. It's the first Saturday in February. A couple weeks after that, we'll release the poll for the next film. Again, I'm Ryan from the Going the Distance, the Rocky Series podcast. You'll find us covering Creed and Creed 2 shortly. Doug, you're finishing up Rocky 2. I got to get those episodes out. Yep. Yeah. It's been like two weeks since I put out episodes, so I got to do a data uh, dump soon. Data dump, yeah, on the the re-release of Rocky 2, our season 2, and uh, season 3 coming at you. It's gonna Sometime be great. In 2021. I, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen this year. We're gonna get we're gonna get Rocky three before the year's over. I'm sure of it. I promise you that. Okay. We should have marked the calendar and see if Doug could have beat the Judge Dread window. <laughs> However long that was. Oh, that was a that was. I think it was a year at least of recording. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think if I remember, we recorded Judge Dread in October, and it was released the following. <laughs> what that came out in March. Uh, so a full year and yeah i was like i said i was kind of disappointed when it came out because like oh that was a fun conversation it was like this urban legend right like yeah existed it's a good running joke now that's our rocky three craig why don't you plug your pulp fiction podcast if you like there yeah um conversations at jackrabbit slims the first friday of every month i sit down with another fan of the movie and we um we talk about whatever projects they have going on uh talk to a lot of podcasters next episode which actually comes out the day before this audio drops i'll be talking to screenwriter john sullivan who wrote a really really cool movie that starred stone cold steve austin and danny trejo called recoil which is an excellent movie and if you haven't seen it he does a lot of script doctoring nowadays so he's not a marquee screenwriter but i had a really fun discussion with him about pulp fiction and what it meant for screenwriting but uh, every conversation is completely unique and completely different and covers my guests personal experience with the movie and like i said i'm looking forward to sitting down with both of you guys individually for the show but it's a lot of fun and and it's a show that i've really enjoyed doing and again that's conversations at jackrabbit slims if 
put that into Google, you'll find it or put it into your favorite podcatcher or go to my Twitter, which is Mr. Craig Cohn with an MR. And you can find a link, my bio to all of my projects, which includes my music, some video projects I've done and all my other podcasts. So uh, just really enjoy chatting with you guys. It's it's the highlight of my podcasting month Aww. is Thanks, man. sitting down with you guys to chat every month about a, a different Sly movie. And I appreciate the fact that we were able to sort of talk about a movie this month that wasn't completely terrible. Well, it was fun. We did this with Victory, where it's like, yeah, there's nothing really to make fun of other than Sly's soccer skills. It was, <laughs> it was a fun discussion. It was a fun movie to watch. It was not a drag to watch at all. Um, I got a feeling the next one might be a dumpster fire. We'll see. Well, thanks, everyone. For those who are listening to this on the iTunes feed, I'll just say this now. You're about to hear Sean Malloy's five-minute essay and what he thinks of the film. He uh, does it in such a way that makes our hour and 20 minutes seem useless because he, he speaks in a very clear, to-the-point way. I, t- <laughs> I told him, I said, boy, you do a better job than I do in an hour and 20 minutes. You do that in five minutes. So he does a really great breakdown of what he feels are his issues with the film. We brought some of them up. I think we also challenged some of his issues. Hello, Sean here from I Must Break This Podcast, the Dolph Lundgren fan podcast. Sorry I couldn't join you for the Expendables 3 discussion, but I wanted to include my thoughts here regarding the film. Thank you, Ryan, for the opportunity. Expendables 3 is a bizarre film to review, mainly because at times it doesn't even feel like a movie, but rather a great big inside joke among all these over-the-hill action icons. Now, I will admit that with the first Expendables movie, the novelty of seeing all of these icons of my youth together in a single film that was hearkening back to the movies I was raised on excited me to no end. First of all, come on, it was Dolph Lundgren's return to the big screen. Needless to say, I eagerly followed that film's production from its initial announcement to its eventual release. Then, when the second one came around, I was equally excited. We are promised more Dolph this go-round, and the addition of Jean-Claude Van Damme, another childhood favorite of mine, which was ultra-exciting. Then, by the time the third one rolled around, I was still excited, though it felt like a little bit of the same old, same old. I think everyone can agree that Expendables 3 is the weakest of the franchise, so before I go into the film's missteps, it's important to mention the good. For one, Mel Gibson is a great villain. He, too, was an icon of the 80s and the 90s, so it only made sense to include him in the mix. The final action sequence, while a little bloated and ridiculous, is also quite fun, as the entire Expendables team lays waste to an abandoned building in Bulgaria. And the final fistfight between Mel Gibson and Sylvester Stallone, despite being way too short, is still cool. There will always be something amazing to me seeing two guys duke it out while they're up to their knees in water. But now to the missteps. For one, Expendables 3 became a parody of the films in which it was supposed to be a love letter to. It suddenly devolved into nothing but callbacks and one-liners to these guys in their previous efforts. When you go into an Expendables movie, you know who guys like Arnold, Sylvester Stallone, and Wesley Snipes already are. So in the scene where Wesley Snipes is asked why he was in prison, and he smugly says, tax evasion, he might as well have been winking at the camera, which this film is one step away from doing. Two, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have a cast of almost 15 good guys going against one main bad guy. Give the villains more to do and more recognizable faces. Why couldn't Wesley and Antonio Banderas be on the villain's side? The first couple Expendables movies 
straddled a delicate line of having too many characters, but for the most part balanced them okay. Here, there's just so many here that a team of 15 mercenaries up against Mel and his squad of faceless goons isn't much of a threat. And speaking of faceless, the inclusion of the quote-unquote new and young Expendables are almost insulting to the fans who became so incredibly psyched at the first Expendable film's announcement back in 2008. On one hand, I get why Sly and the producers thought that sidelining the core team and bringing in younger blood was a keen marketing strategy. But the names chosen couldn't be any more bland. Kellen Lutz looks the part of a potential action star, I guess, but Glenn Powell, Ronda Rousey, and Tito Ortiz? The latter two are in fact athletically gifted, but they're not exactly actors, and I doubt that their presence was going to bring a different demographic into theaters, which I think was the intent. Not only that, but their inclusion also doesn't make much sense narratively. So after Terry Crews' character Hale Caesar is gunned down and left in a coma, Sly has the epiphany that he can no longer put his best friends in harm's way, so he lets them go. But then he sets off and hires a team of young soldiers who arguably have their whole lives ahead of them. Wouldn't it make more logistical sense to just keep his team of old guys then? And while we're on the subject of the narrative, there are other small moments that border on the absurd. For example, Terry Crews's character isn't killed, but mortally wounded and put into a coma, thus taking him out of action for the entire movie, which was also due to other pesky acting obligations on Terry Crews's behalf. Yet, Cruz is alive and well again by the end of the movie, so any kind of narrative, impetus, and stakes get thrown out the window. Also, when did the Expendables team go from being a battle-hardened group of mercenaries to a bizarre social club? There are moments where it felt like some kind of high school clique that brings new members in and kicks others out willy-nilly. Obviously, I guess I'm expecting too much from a film that was essentially built on the idea of a gimmick, but considering that the franchise was made as a love letter to the fans... This one became a National Lampoon spoof of that very letter. Ah well, after years of being in direct-to-video purgatory, it's always a treat seeing Dolph Lundgren back on the big screen. Till next time, guys, this was Sean from I Must Break This Podcast. I'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, Sean, for your contribution, and we'll have you on the show we do Expendables 1. All right, thanks, everyone, for watching, and we'll see you on the next one.